You're listening to Good Shepherd Brentwood's Sermon Feed. Today's sermon was preached by Mother Natalie Van Kirk and recorded on the 16th Sunday after Pentecost, September 17th, 2023. I speak to you in the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This past Friday night at sundown, Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, began. It was the start of the High Holy Days in the Jewish calendar, and it will end with the day that begins next Sunday evening and ends on Monday at sundown, Yom Kippur. Now, one of the lovely things I think about Rosh Hashanah, in addition to the wishes for sweetness and health in the new year is the invitation given for us to ask ourselves or to ask oneself, how can I be a better person this year than I was last year? What can I do better? And especially, what can I do to please God? Now, I suspect that these aren't exactly the kinds of questions that you ask yourself when you're doing your New Year's resolutions. For the most part, our New Year's resolutions are about losing weight, getting more exercise, and reading more books, or getting more sleep, or maybe even just remembering to send birthday cards. They're more about those kinds of things than they are about finding more ways to live our lives in ways that would please God. I also suspect that most of us, because we are a comfortable people, and we're generally nice to one another, and we live lives that are largely, not entirely, but largely free of difficulty and tragedy, do not spend very much time thinking about how we could be better people or what we might do to change our lives to please God, why should we? Things are good as they are. So when our lives are relatively comfortable, it may be that we just have to hit rock bottom before we can ask those questions. Now, my friends, the title of the sermon sermon's This morning is when you are in the pit, what will you choose? And today we're going to continue our stories, our sermons about the stories of Joseph from Genesis. Um, And then we're going to continue with a story that I promise you is not part of the regular preaching rotation. You may want to find chapter 39 in your bulletin to follow along. And you will also note that there are a couple of times here where I'm going to use quite different language than what is in the bulletin. I'm required to use the translation in the bulletin. It's not necessarily the best translation of the Hebrew, um, and so I've tried to make better translations so that we can understand the punch in this story a little more thoroughly than it's presented to us. Now, if you remember last week, we left 17-year-old Joseph in a really bad way. The favoritism that his father had shown him, his father's gift of that 
I don't have to work like you do because I have this fancy coat that I wear around all the time. And Joseph's all too eager sharing of his dreams of dominance over his brothers had led his brothers to hate him passionately, so passionately that they wanted to kill him. And finally, one day when Joseph had traveled far enough from home to find out where his brothers were minding his father's herds and flocks, the brothers took advantage of remoteness and distance, and they stripped that narcissistic little snot of that fancy robe, and they threw him naked into a dry cistern. Now, they did decide not to kill him which had been their original plan, they decided instead that they would sell him into slavery in Egypt and that they could get rid of him that way and he would never bother them again. Joseph's behavior had literally landed him at rock bottom. And when some passing Midianites pulled him out of that pit, before his brothers could get back to him, he thought he was saved, but they still sold him to a caravan headed to Egypt. And when that happened, he was stripped of everything that was his. His clan, his position in his family, everything that protected him and helped him. Joseph lost way more than a fancy tunic. He lost everything that told him who and what he was. Imagine, if you will, being a naked 17-year-old boy, watching as the people you thought were going to rescue you sold you for 20 pieces of silver, and then being forced to walk nearly 300 miles through the desert only to be sold again. It takes a long time to walk from the place where Joseph was in Israel to Egypt. And I imagine that Joseph had a lot of time to think. And then at the end of his journey, he was sold to Potiphar, an Egyptian official. Now, when you hit rock bottom, you can choose one of two paths. You can rail against the world and the unfairness of it all, and you can spend the rest of your life trying to beg, borrow, and steal your way back to where you were before. That path will make you weak. Or you can choose to take a hard look at what led you to that place and ask yourself what you need to change to avoid finding yourself standing naked at the bottom of a stone cistern once again. Asking those questions will make you resilient. And somewhere in his long walk to Egypt, Joseph must have chosen that second path because when the story opens, it says two critically important things about him. It says the Lord was with Joseph, and it says he was a man, read adult. He was a successful man. The 17-year-old snot had somewhere figured out that narcissism and overweening pride 
would not serve him well. There's that other phrase, too, about the Lord being with him. The Lord blesses him, and he lends his success. Now, it would be easy to read this story in a way that seems like it's a little magical. And in fact, the way that verse 3 in your translation is, is done makes it seem like it might be a little magical. The Lord caused all that he did to prosper. So poof, Joseph ends up in Egypt and everything goes well for him. However, a better translation of the Hebrew there is the Lord lent success to everything he undertook. The success isn't a given. It's a product of God's grace, and it's a product of listening. The Lord lent success to Joseph. Why? Well, I think the rest of the story illustrates that Joseph was no longer a narcissistic, self-involved little twerp, but had become a man, an adult of deep character, who sought to be the man that the Lord intended him to be, and who had listened and learned what that might be. Why do I think that's the case? Well, first, because the story might seem a little bit like a fairy tale, But I have to tell you that Hebrew stories of this sort are not at all like Walt Disney. They never have sweet endings. They're a lot more complicated than fairy tales, and they often have a real bite. And most importantly, God and fairy godmothers are not the same. We should be wary of turning God into a fairy godmother in this story. Second, I think it's because Joseph's character shines through in these stories, and it will be the key to their resolution. And third and most important, this is the first time in many chapters, actually since Jacob wrestled with God and was renamed Israel, that God has entered into this story at all. The Lord has a role in these stories because Joseph has remembered him. So the Lord lent Joseph success. Joseph had become upright and honest and trustworthy, and he worked hard. Now, even as a child, he'd likely been very intelligent, but it was the change in character that brought the blessing. Joseph is made a household slave, and, his, and he does well. And his master notices, and he takes a liking to him, so he makes him his personal attendant. And Joseph does well. Joseph does so well, in fact, that the master gives him authority over everything inside the house and everything outside the house. And Joseph does well. He does so well, in fact, and the master becomes so wealthy that all the master has to do is worry about what's for dinner. Everything else, Joseph takes care of. His success, though, is marked by an increase in responsibility and trust. I'm going to repeat that. The mark of success for Joseph was an increase in responsibility and trust. It was not about the accumulation of wealth for himself, because all of the wealth went to someone else.
And verse 6, we're barely into this story, ends with this kind of non sequitur and dum da da dum kind of note of foreboding. Because it says something really weird, it adds onto the end of this story of success. And Joseph was well built and handsome. Trouble is coming. Joseph's master has given him charge over all that he has, everything except his wife. And she, it seems, has too much time on her hands and spends too much time watching Joseph. And finally, she tires of watching and she orders him as one would order a slave, lie with me. Now, Joseph is in a real bind. She's his master's wife. She's powerful. He is a slave. And she just gave him an order. And in slave societies, promiscuity was and is an accepted norm. And plus, there's this possibility that if he consents to be involved with her, she, she might be able to help him advance his personal and selfish interests. What to do? What to say? But he has become a man of character, a man who pleases God. And he cannot reject her outright. He cannot get angry. He cannot preach to her. All of those would be dangerous things to do. He has to be oh so delicate and listen to how careful he is. Look, you know, with me here, my master, your husband, he has no concern about anything in the house and he's put everything he has into my hand. There's no one in this household greater than I am. And he hasn't kept anything back from me, nothing but yourself, because you're his wife. Now, how could I do this great wickedness against my master and against God? The sin against God was likely Joseph's first concern, but it certainly wasn't hers. And so he puts the whole thing in terms that she would understand. But the woman is nothing if not persistent. Day after day after day, Joseph must find a delicate way to say no. And one day he comes into the house to work and all of the other household servants are out of the house. And she literally seizes her chance, grabbing his outer garment. And Joseph runs out of the house wearing nothing but a loincloth. Then the woman starts screaming for the servants. She holds up the garment, and with all the ethnic slur and double entendre that she can muster, she proclaims that her husband had brought that Hebrew slave into the house to dally with them all. And she proclaims that Joseph had tried to do forcibly what she had been begging him to do for weeks. And then to seal the deal, when the master comes home, she holds up that garment again and she says, look what that Hebrew slave that you brought into the house tried to do to me. But I screamed and he ran off without his clothes. 
And the master reacts exactly as you might expect he would react with this massive betrayal of his trust. And he throws Joseph into the royal prison to await what will surely be his execution. It is, in fact, a wonder that Joseph wasn't executed on the spot. Joseph must have given himself a good account of why this was not so, to even buy a little time. And while he was in prison, the Lord stayed with him, and he again lent him success. Joseph began to organize things in the prison, and gradually things were getting so much better that the chief jailer put more and more and more of the life of the prison in Joseph's charge. And eventually, like Potiphar, the chief jailer no longer worries about anything he has handed over to Joseph to manage. All was going well. Well, it was going well except for the fact that Joseph was still a slave and he was in prison. So, so what do we take away from that story? I think Joseph asked himself the equivalent of those Rosh Hashanah questions on that long walk to Egypt. How can I be a better person than I have been what can I do that will please God? Now, to do that could not have been easy, especially for someone who had been so very pleased with himself as 17-year-old Joseph. And in the process, he come, becomes what the Scripture approvingly calls a man. He becomes an adult. There have been a lot of semi-adults and non-adults in grown-up suits that have been characters in this story so far. Given his, excuse me, his family history going all the way back to his great-grandparents, it would have been really easy for Joseph to choose the path of bitterness and deceit, to complain constantly about how unfair life and his brothers had been to him, and to become weak with no depth and no character. Instead, when Joseph gets to Egypt, we get someone who is fundamentally different. He has answered the questions and responded to the challenge they presented him. Now, to be a better person, to become, he has become a person of integrity. You can trust him. And in that ability to trust him, those familial patterns of lies and double dealings are gone. He has become a person of character. He conducts himself with honor, honor for himself and for others. He is not following that old family system of taking what he can get or conniving to get whatever he wanted. He has become a person who does what is right, even when there is a risk that it will turn out very badly for him. Truthfulness. Fidelity, courage, prudence. Those are really old-fashioned words for the virtues that he develops. And in the process, his ears are open to the Lord. And because he can now hear 
he is blessed. Does it mean that bad things will never happen to him again? No, Joseph is going to have numerous bad things happen to him before his story is over. But he has learned to put himself into the hands of God, whatever the circumstances. Now, you know, we don't actually have to wait for Rosh Hashanah or New Year's or Lent to ask ourselves those questions. We could ask them today. We could ask them every day. What can I do to be a better person today than I was yesterday? What can I do that will please God? If you do that every day for a year, I can promise you that your life will be radically different and it will be better. Will there still be troubles and trials and perhaps difficulty and tragedy? Yes, there is no guarantee that those things will not happen to you. But you will encounter them quite differently. For one thing, you will be resilient in a way you have never been resilient before. And for another, as the story of Joseph says, the things that happen to you, you will face with the hand of the Lord upon you to lend you what you need through grace. And that truly is your salvation. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in hearing our sermons in real time, you can check us out at our website, www.goodshepherdbrentwood.org, or attend online during our 1015 Sunday live stream on YouTube. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Good Shepherd Brentwood. If you have any questions or comments, or maybe you'd like to meet with one of our clergy, you can email us at office at goodshepherdbrentwood.org. Or if you're interested in visiting in person or have questions about our programs and services, you can text 615-637-3738, where you'll be contacted by our staff. We'd love to meet you.